Welcome to this lesson, lesson 24. I'm sure this is going to be a lesson that's going to help many people and challenge many people. Very often on the Pioneer School, I talk about those religious glasses and that we need to take those glasses off. This time is not just about the religious glasses. This time is about something much more. The people don't want to see the truth. They are afraid to actually see the truth about the things I'm going to share. They are afraid to listen to some of those things and accept it. Why? Because what will happen? Because the truth is that the early church did not run around with a Bible. They did not run around with a Bible in their hand. But the early disciples, they walked with Jesus. And Jesus, he's not on earth today, but now he has sent his Holy Spirit. And the people, the reason people are afraid when I talk about the early church, they not have a Bible in many, many, many years, many hundred years, the way we have it, is because they don't know what the Holy Spirit is able to do. That the Holy Spirit is able to teach us, to guide us, to help us. The Holy Spirit is able to do the same as Jesus did when he was walking here on earth with his disciples. But now I'm happy we have the Bible, and I think this teaching is going to help you to understand the Word of God and read it in the right context. Because what we are going to look at in this lesson really is chapter and verses. How chapters and verses have destroyed the Bible, because now we read the word out of context. And we're going to look at infant baptism, salvation baptism, tongues, and tithing. And I'm going to take different examples how chapters and verses have destroyed it and make a wrong theology when it comes to those things. So I know it's going to challenge you, you're going to love it, and it's going to set you free. God bless you. Welcome to this teaching. This is lesson 24 on the Pioneer School. And uh, today I'm going to continue where I left last time. And this is going to be really exciting. Last time I spoke about uh, the Bible, how to understand the Bible. And we looked at the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and, and compared them with the early church, the first disciples, how they were living. And then we talked about a little about the word. And we were also just in tasting or talking about the things with the chapters and verses. That the Bible in many ways, I said, had been destroyed because we put chapters and verses in the Bible. And the Bible in the beginning was a book without chapter and verses, or it was letter by letter. And uh, many people have given response to that teacher, and many, many people love it. And there have been people who also have different questions about it. Uh, and I want to cover that and then I want to continue. One of the questions was, what Bible translation do I use? Because uh, there was a guy here who used New King James and he asked what I use. I use my Danish Bible because I'm from Denmark, I'm a Danish guy and I grew up or have read, read my Danish Bible for many, many years. I want to say, 
and you're going to see that very clear. It's really not about, it's really not so much about what Bible translation you're using. It's about your understanding on the, of the full picture of the Word of God. It's about the Holy Spirit teaching you. Because what I've seen, I've seen people who are so stuck in having the right Bible translation, but there's so many areas in their life where they have not seen the big picture. And for me, the biggest revelation for me, where I took off my religious glasses and suddenly understood the Bible with a new way, it was not because I got the right translation, but it was because I learned to divide the Bible in the right way, and I saw the big picture of the Word of God. And this is more important than what Bible translation you're using. But when that is said, it's good to just look at different translations. Just take so many as possible and just read it through. But that is not the most important thing. Another question was about um, about my teaching. Uh, that I say the scriptures and verses is almost from the from Satan. I don't remember if I said it like that. But he have a challenge with this because I use scripture and verses myself. Jesus quoted scripture. Moses, like Jesus quoted scripture. Peter quoted scripture. Paul quoted scripture. They all quoted scriptures. And that was, in their case, the Old Testament. So they all quoted scripture. There is nothing wrong in quoting scripture. But what is different, this is what I want to say, that they did not, they did not get introduced to scripture just taking out a context. They read it. They read it. And when they then quoted it, it was in the right setting. They quoted it in the right context. But we are so used to a Christianity where we do not start with the full picture. We just start with verses taken out. And that is the problem. And that is going to be very clear in this lesson. Because what I'm going to do soon is we're going to look at different things of different verses. You have heard again and again. Many people have heard because it's some of those verses that is used in the church again and again. But this time you're going to see how those scriptures we thought we knew actually was wrong. Because it's taken out of context. So there's nothing wrong in quoting scriptures. Just quote it in the right context. But you also don't need to use like Acts 4.13 and 1 John 2. I just do it to help you now, but, but the early disciples did not do that. They just quoted how it was. There is once he wrote to me that many churches actually are going far away from the scripture, saying that the Holy Spirit is driving them to weird practice. Or they don't say that, but we see they say it's the Holy Spirit who is driving them to do so and so. And in the name of freedom in Christ. And then, but the Bible warns us to be careful of those things and we can recognize a tree by its fruits. I want to say something about that. When I'm now teaching and what I said last time is going to provoke many people. 
and it provoked many people. It provoked people that I'm saying that the early disciples did not have a Bible the way we have it today. They did not run around with a Bible in their hands the way we do it. They did not have strong concordance. They did not have a Bible schools. They did not have education the way we have it today. The early Christians did not have the, the same thing we have today. In many, 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 many years. We talk about hundreds of years. And it is a challenge for many, many people today because we don't know how strong the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit is doing. Because many people think they have the Holy Spirit, but they do actually not have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to look at that very soon. But I will come with an example from my own life. When I got born again and experienced God and new birth 20 years ago, the Holy Spirit started to teach me. And I love the word. I've always loved the word. But I came in a background in a, in a church setting where there was actually not a lot of sound doctrines, to be honest. And I was longing for more and deeper teaching. So at one time, I found people in the other side out here who was not so charismatic, so focused on the Holy Spirit. But I think in many areas, I love what they were saying because it was deeper teaching. So in long time, I started to listen to those people up here. And, and when I started to listen to them, it was actually the first time I felt like, oh, I get really meat now. This is solid food. This is something I can use for something. And I started to connect with some of those people. And I went to a conference many years ago where I was together now with those people in Denmark who was talking most about sound doctrine. Like, test everything, sound doctrine, sound doctrine, it's all about sound doctrine. We had to go to the word, the word, the word, the word. And they are really, really into doctrines. Not the same way as the church I came from. But when I met them, I was shocked. Because here I thought I came to somebody who had a high focus on sound doctrine and therefore, in my mind, a radical good life with God. But when I come, I only saw words. There was no Holy Spirit working. There was no healing. There was no deliverance. There was no prophecy. I did not see the Holy Spirit works. It was like the Holy Spirit was being put out and now it was doctrine, doctrine, doctrines and words instead of the Spirit. It was one thing I saw. Another thing I saw was that there was no unity. Those people who were so much into sound doctrines, they could not agree with each other. And I thought in the beginning that, hey, it was just sitting down and then you study the Bible and then you come to a unity in the scripture because this is what the Bible is saying. But I saw it's not like that. And I was really, really disappointed. But God there took me to a journey and God started to teach me things and show me things I've been dealing with, showing you here in the Pioneer School. And one of the things I have really learned is that the Holy Spirit is real. And the Holy Spirit, now we're not talking about the counterfeits where it's strange, weird manifestation, but we're talking about the Holy Spirit, Him. He is able to teach us the truth. 
He is able to do what no Bible school can do, no Bible college can do, no education can do. The Holy Spirit can do it. And when Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit in John 15, you can read about it there. There is talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, he starts saying this in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for you advances that I go away. If we just stop here, Jesus had been with his disciples, teaching them one-to-one, personally teaching them through three years. He had been teaching them three years. And then he called them together and say, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Like Jesus was lying. Jesus was never lying. But why should he say, I tell you the truth now? Because what he was saying was so difficult for them to understand. And what was the truth? It was the best for them that he go away. And the same today. I tell you the truth. It's the best for you that you don't have that Bible college just and look at scripture just and go to seminary just. Because you need something else. You need the Holy Spirit. Jesus said here, nevertheless, I tell you the truth is for you adventures that I go away. For do I not go away? The helper will not come to you. But when I depart, I will send him to you. And when he come, he will convince the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. So, so it's the Holy Spirit who will convince us, the world, of sin, righteous judgment. And he continued, and later he said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he... The spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. So what Jesus was saying was that the helper he sent was a helper like him. It was not a helper less than him. It was not a helper worse than him. It was actually better for us that Jesus went away. Why? Because if Jesus was on earth today, we should travel to Israel to meet him. But he needed to sleep and other things. And No, you will not meet him. Because he could only be one place at one time. But by him going away, he sent his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit is able to teach us, to guide us. And this is some of the works of the Holy Spirit we read here. He is the helper. He will convince the world of sin Righteousness and judgment. He will guide you to all truth. And whatever he hears, he will speak. He will glorify me, Jesus said. Some of the things I'm saying about the early church, that they did not have a Bible the way we do it. They did not have Bible schools the way we have it. They did not have... Strong concordance and e-sword and lexicon and all the things we have. It is so radical for us to hear. And for many, it's not just a, just about taking the realistic glasses off. It's, it's, it's like they have this on. 
They are blind because they want to be blind. They are like, la la la, I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear what you are saying, Tom. I don't want to hear. And the only reason they don't want to hear is because they have not seen what the Holy Spirit are able to do. They have not seen that the Holy Spirit can do what no man can do. The Holy Spirit can teach what no man can teach. The Holy Spirit can guide us like no man can guide us. The Holy Spirit is real. He's alive. But here I'm talking about the truth of the Holy Spirit. I just took a testimony with somebody from our Pioneer Training School just before this video. And I took a testimony with a woman who came to our Pioneer Training School three days ago. The first two days we talk about repentance, baptism, and Holy Spirit. And one of those days, two days ago I think it was, I asked if somebody is doubting if they speak in tongues. And she said, yeah, me, I've always been doubting. Come up here. And then I prayed for her and it was so beautiful. It was like the Holy Spirit just came in. She breathed in and the Holy Spirit shilabada and she just started to speak in tongues. It just came out of her. And she said afterward that I've been praying in tongues for 20 years, but now I know it was not tongues. I thought I had the Holy Spirit for 20 years, but now I know I did not have the Holy Spirit. And she was just sharing to me her testimony just before this teaching. And she was saying that when I was out on the street yesterday, I preaching the gospel and talking with people, I had a boldness I've never had before. So it's actually possible to think you have the Holy Spirit without having the Holy Spirit. The true Holy Spirit is holy. The true Holy Spirit is guiding to a life in holiness. The true Holy Spirit is able to do what we cannot do. So when I say again, I say in the beginning that I, I'm a radical guy. I want radical discipleship. I want high standard of holiness and so on and so on and so on. Do you know where I saw that coming? Not by just teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching and go into details and Bible school and Bible college. I've never seen people come out of Bible college. I've seen them come out with a, with a big head often and a lot of knowledge and they often get proud because they believe they know a lot. But I've never often seen people come out of Bible college, to be honest, with a life of holiness, with a life of boldness, with a life like we saw the early disciples have. Why? Because it was man teaching and not Holy Spirit teaching. It was man guiding and not Holy Spirit guiding. It was man who did it and not the Holy Spirit. So I love the word and the word is a gift from God and I'm amazed of the New Testament. I'm happy we have it now and this is amazing we have it. But we should not depend on the word alone. We need the spirit also. We need the spirit to guide us. And he is now guiding through the words. In the early church, they did not have all the letter, but he was then still guiding. Not the way he guides today. He was guiding with other things through the Old Testament also. But they did not guide the way he guides us today because they did not have it like we have it today. So the focus should be the spirit. And I think we should walk on two legs. The Spirit and the Word. The Spirit and the Word. We start with the Spirit and then the Word. The Spirit is guiding us and teaching us and helping us. And then we try test everything from the Word. The Spirit and the Word. And if we have those two legs, 
then it's going to be really, really good. So yes, we need a reformation. We need a reformation that's going so much deeper. Where we're talking about the church structure, we're talking about the, the doctrines, we're talking about the gospel. We're also talking about our way of understanding the Bible, that we need the Spirit even more. And yes, the true Holy Spirit can teach, can guide, can set people free. And I hope you understand that. Okay, so before I'm going to continue, one of the questions was also about what words, translations I was using. Should I use King James or should I use this? One thing that's really more important than what translation you use is, is what is written here. Be diligent in present yourself approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed. And this is what we need to do. Rightly dividing the word of truth. What do we mean on that? I know there's different translation here also, but what do you mean rightly dividing the word of truth? We need the word, but we need to understand who is coming from, who is written to. We need to understand the text in context. And the problem, and we're going to look at that, the problem with the chapter and verses is this is not how we should divide the word. We should look at what covenant we are in, new covenant, own covenant. Are they under the law? Who is speaking now? Who, is, who are they talking to? Is it before the cross? Is it after the cross? Is it before the Holy Spirit? Is it after the Holy Spirit? Are they speaking to non-believers? Are they speaking to believers? We should divide the word in that word, in, in that way. But the Bible has become like a phone book, telephone book. Own phone book. You take up and you just go in and you find one thing you need to use. And, and people are using the Bible like this. I find a scripture I, I can use instead of seeing the full picture. Instead of reading the Bible the way it should be written by the Holy Spirit teaching you. Okay, I'm going to continue. I hope you're ready now. I'm going to quote two scriptures. In book of Acts... Paul and Silas was in, in jail, and the Holy Spirit came and set them free from jail. And the jailer said, So what shall we do, must we do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. So here we see Paul and Silas say to them, Believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, you and your household. And I can quote another scripture in Galatians. In Christ you are all children of God through faith. I have two scriptures here. I can now say to you, and out of those and other scriptures teach that baptism is not important. It's all faith. It's all about faith and baptism is not important. I can actually quote some more from Galatians where, where we read, don't go or talk about another gospel and we are just by, by faith and not by the law and foolish Galatians who have bewitched you and so on and so on. And then use those scriptures and Galatians and say that baptism is not part of salvation and baptism is, is, have to do with works, and we don't want works, we are justified by faith. 
we are the children of God through faith, and it's those who believe in Christ who shall be saved, not those who are baptized. For many people, they will never think that what I've just done now is that I have just been misusing the Bible in a bad, bad way. What I have just done now is actually I have divided the Bible in a wrong way. I have taken the text verses out of context and I have misused it. I really misuse those scriptures if I say it's all about faith and baptism is not necessary. Why? Because those scriptures are talking about baptism. Because the next verse, he did not say just believe in the Lord Jesus and you and your house shall be saved. The next verse is that they then spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the other in his house. And then immediately he and all his household was baptized. So suddenly we read here, believe in the Lord Jesus, you and your house shall be saved. And I can get that to talk about faith without baptism. And that is faith that's saved and not baptism. But when you read it in context, you read that right after they spoke the word, they needed to know what to believe in, and they got baptized. The same with this scripture here. I have just taken a scripture, and to quote this is quoting a half-truth. That is actually quoting a lie almost. In, In Jesus Christ, you are all children of God through faith. Comma. It's not over yet. Who is he talking about who are children of God through faith? For all of you who were baptized into Christ have closed yourself with Christ. Next verse. So can you see how easy it is? I have just taken two verses and quote two verses and out of those two Verses, I could preach another gospel, a gospel where you don't need to get baptized. And I did it, and nobody thought, nobody think there was anything wrong with it. But if you from the beginning on was introduced to the full package and read it book by book by book and knew the context, you would knew, know that those two verses was talking about baptism. And not only faith, because faith and baptism go together. And to quote Galatians and say that, hey, we should not be under the law. What Paul was talking about in Galatians, to not go under the law, had nothing to do with baptism. Why? Because those people he's talking to are baptized. They all got baptized when they came to faith. I hope you see that this is just one of many examples. And if you go to the internet today and write is baptism necessary or is tongues for everyone or, or what about this, what about this? You will always find articles where there is scriptures and verses. Where there is verses like this. And it seems like the word of God, but it's not. It's a hard truth. It's a lie in many cases. Why? Because we take it out, context, instead of reading the full package. Another example I can come with. Infant 
Baptist. And uh, for you who are not living in a Catholic country or Lutheran country, you you don't know so much about infant Baptist, but for us here, it's a big part. A few days ago, I got this in our mailbox. This is from the Lutheran Church. I'm not a member of the Lutheran Church, but still, I get this like every second month or third month. I get this in my mailbox. This is a baby who should get baptized, a new beginning about baptism. And then the Lord took the small children and said that you should not hinder them in inside the kingdom of God. And um, yeah, infant baptists, let's look at that. What do they do when they have infant baptists in the church? Infant baptists, what do we say there? What they do in the Lutheran church, they quote three scriptures, or read three scriptures. The first thing is from Mark, where they read about how Jesus was baptized. Then they read from Mark 10, that Jesus said, let the small children come to me, you should not hinder them. And then they read the Great Commission, and then they baptize people in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. What do they do? They quote scriptures. But you cannot quote scriptures in that way they are doing also. First thing, <laughs> that scripture in itself is talking about baptism. That scripture, Matthew is talking about baptism, but Mark 10, where they brought the small children to Jesus and he lay hands on them. That had nothing to do with baptism. That had to do with he blessed them. He just laid a hands on them. He did not take them and baptize them. So you, but this is what we often do. We take one word, one word about something, and then we take word who is saying something else and put it together, and suddenly we have baptism of babies. Like here, we take word about baptism. Jesus got baptized. Word about great commission. Go out and baptize people. Oh, we need some baptism where it had to do with babies or children. Okay, we just take this. Jesus said, let the small children come to me. But this is, you cannot build theology like that. And there is no example in the New Testament that babies got baptized. Then they have one more proof. And this is from 16. Uh, I wrote it, read it before, but we're going to look again. Acts 16 with the jailer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you and you and the Lord Jesus and you will be safe, you and your household. And his all his household was baptized. So what we read in Acts 16 was that all in his household was baptized. Aha. We believe that maybe there is babies in that household. Okay, if, if you look at the world today, how many households around there is the babies? There is house, many households where there's babies. There is also many households where there's no babies. In our household, my household right now, the youngest is 11 and she is baptized. We don't have babies in our household. And other household, there is also no babies. Other household, there is babies. But we cannot build theology of something we hope and think and so on. Those things we need to know is solid. 
But again, if we just read the text, we will know that there is no babies here. Why? We read here that all in his household was baptized. So he believed there is a baby, and some believe there is a baby, including all was baptized. But if we continue, then they spoke to the word of God to him and the whole household. And later, and his whole household rejoiced of having come to faith in God. So if there is a baby included in the whole household here, there is a baby included in the whole household here, and there is a baby included in the whole household here. How often have we seen they spoke the word of the Lord to that baby? And that baby rejoiced after come to faith. Because if there was a baby there, there was a baby there, there was a baby there, and they read that God spoke the word of the Lord to everyone, and everyone rejoiced. I have been to many Baptists in the Lutheran Church, and I have not yet seen the priest stand and start to preach the word of the Lord to that, that little baby. And I've never seen that little baby rejoice after coming to faith. There is no rejoice here. There is no speaking in tongues here. There is no transformation here. Why? Because babies cannot get baptized. But another area where it goes deeper, where many don't see it, is actually the Great Commission, where there also is a problem. Because Jesus said, go out, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Then we read in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just because we have heard our words many times, don't make that words more truth than other verses. And this is our problem because there is some verses we love to quote. And we have heard that verse so many times. We have heard it again and again and again and again. And so we get blind by those verses. And we think that that verse is a truth. But our words cannot stand alone. We need to understand the context. And we need to look into it. And what do we see in this case? We see that no one in the Bible, in the early church for this first many hundred years, nobody got baptized by saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Everyone got baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, to Jesus Christ. Because here we have one verse, and here we have, Many, many verses. Acts 2.38, in the name of Jesus. Acts 8, with Philip, they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, they were baptized. Acts 8, baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 10, Peter Cornelius, baptized in the name of Jesus. Acts 19, baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 22, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. So here we see Acts 2, Acts 8 with Philip. Acts 10 with Peter and the house of Cornelius. Acts 19 with Paul in Ephesus. Acts 22 with Paul's own experience. And everyone got baptized in the name of Jesus to Jesus Christ, calling on the name of Jesus. There was nothing saying with the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is confirmed in the letter. Roman, when you are baptized into Jesus Christ, 
Galatians, baptized into Christ. So what we see is that everyone who was baptized was baptized into Christ. I don't say that everybody now shall get rebaptized because I think God is greater than what words we use. But the right words we use, but the right understanding is, is Christ we get baptized to. Like we don't go and cast demons out and say, in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, come out in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What is the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit? What is the name of the Holy Spirit? It's not in the names as the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's the name of, there is only one name. And who's that? That is Jesus Christ, the name above all names. It's all about Jesus. We repent toward the Father, we get baptized to the Son, and we receive the Holy Spirit. And I have more teaching about that on the Pioneer School in the lesson about baptism. But I just want to take it here because this is a typical example. The problem with chapters and verses often that we never read the whole thing. We just take things... And then we have different verses we love and we hear it again and again and again and again. And then we think just because we have heard it many times that we understand it and that that is the truth. But that is not the truth. And the truth is in this case that most church denominations, they are baptized in the name Father, Son and Holy Spirit even so it is wrong. And just because most people do it, don't make it right either. We have to take our glasses off. We have to come back to the Word. And that is one of the problems where we let scholars teach us. Because I'm not a... Okay, it sounds like I'm against everybody who go on a Bible school. I'm, I'm not totally against. I just want to say the problem is, tell me where you have studied and I tell you what you believe. Because you come out with the same glasses on. You have the same practice because you have been taught by the same people instead of letting the Holy Spirit teach you, letting the Holy Spirit reveal the truth. And yes, the Bible is not a dangerous book. You have, If you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can teach you. This Bible is not dangerous. But let's look at the next thing. If we look about salvation and baptism. Book of Acts When they heard this, they heard Peter preach. When they heard this, they were all cut to their heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? The question is, if people ask most Christians today, What shall we do? What shall we do to get saved? What shall we do? Most people will quote this scripture. Confess, pray the sinner's prayer. Because the Bible says, If you confess with your mouth... That Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him for the dead, you will be saved. This is what most people would do. Why? It's not because you ever see anybody in the Bible who did that. There was nobody who did the sinner's prayer. There was nobody who ever said, let's pray this prayer and you will be saved. You don't find that in the early church for many, many hundred years. That is only a few hundred years old or hundred years old. But why do everybody believe this is what it's written, uh, how to do it? Scripture and verses. Because they are so used to gospel tracts where we put a scripture in so people can get saved. And most people use that scripture, that verses. 
And we think this is actually what Romans 10.9 is saying, but it's not what it's saying. Romans 10.9 is not talking to somebody who are non-believers who need to get saved. Romans 10.9 is actually talking to somebody who already believe and are baptized and have received the Holy Spirit. Because you read about that in verse 6 and in chapter 6 and chapter 8. Romans 10.9 is speaking about believers. And he's actually before that quoting Moses. Because you read a few words before that uh, Moses wrote about righteousness that came by the law and so on. He's talking about the the, the thing between the law and and, and the new covenant. And now he's believing Jesus like they believed in Moses. And he's believing and go on believing. So if you go on believing and go on confessing, you shall one day be saved. Saved. And this is what he's saying to us who are born again. And not a non-believer, because non-believers, they need to repent. It's not enough to pray a sinner's prayer. They need to get baptized. It's not enough to just pray a prayer. They need to receive the Holy Spirit. It's not enough to pray a prayer. And that is the problem with the Bible today, that we don't divide the Bible in a right way. So we take things that are written to believers and give it to non-believers. I come with an example. I, I used an example last time. I can do it a little better. I heard a good example here. Try to imagine I'm a marriage counselor. And I'm really, really good at counseling people who have problems in the marriage. Sometimes I write to a young boy who are not married but want to find somebody. Sometimes I write to a couple who are new in the, in the relationship and want to get married. Sometimes I write to somebody who are just been married but have some beginning problems. Sometimes I write to somebody who are really good and everything is fine. And sometimes I write to somebody who is in a crisis. Or sometimes I write to somebody who is a widow who has just lost their partner. I write to them because they write to me first. So I get a letter to them and I answer. And they get a letter and I answer. And I write different things to different people. And I've been writing thousands of letters. And then I die. 20 years later, some people find some of my letters. And they actually think my letters is good. So what do they do? They put my letters together in a book. So not all the letters, only a few. And they did not get the answer, the letter I answered to, they only get half of the letter. So when people write to me, they don't have that, they don't have, only have my answer. And they put it together. But a few years later, somebody get that idea to actually divide my letters into chapters and verses. And suddenly, we have a lot of Mary counselors who all lead back to my writing and all quote my writing, but nobody of them agree with each other. And everyone is teaching totally different things. Even so, they all quote back to me. Why? Because it's a copy-paste way of doing it. They take what they like and leave behind what they don't like. And they take things out of context. And therefore, they could get me to say everything they want me to say. 
But what I say to a young man who is thinking of getting married is not the same I'm going to say to a couple who have been married for 15 years. What I say to somebody who has just got married is not the same I say to a widow who has just lost his wife. What I say to different people is different. But what do people now do? They take one thing said to that person in that place and one thing said to that person in that place, one thing said to that person in that place, and now they make doctrine out of it and say, this is what Tobin was teaching. But it was not what I was teaching. This is the problem with the Bible. This is what we have done. We have put the books together. That is okay. But then we have divided up and now we often teach things without seeing the big picture. And we need to see a reformation when it comes to this. We need to come back and see the big picture again. And this is what I try to do with the Pioneer School. I try, yes, I use things, but the whole purpose with the Pioneer School is to get you to get a life with God so the Holy Spirit can teach you and help you. The whole purpose is to lift you up to Christ and let the Holy Spirit come and get that life and then See the big picture. Get the religious glasses off so you are able to understand. And everyone who quote Romans 10.9 when it comes to how to get saved, don't know scripture. You don't find one example in the early church how they did that. But people are still continue quoting Romans 9, 10, 10.9. Why? Because they don't want to see the truth. They want to be blind. It's okay, I provoke you. What should we say? We should say this, Peter answered instead, in that context. They asked, what shall we do? And then we should say the same. If we get that answer, we should not go to another book and pick something out and put it in. We should give the right answer. Repent, said Peter. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, any one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that is so clear. But then Torben, 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 you talk so much about baptism all the time, like this is part of salvation and, and you cannot live a desire without being baptized and so on and so on. Yes, I do it. Why? Because the Bible is so clear in this. No, 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 Torben, because, 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 because. And then it's coming, that scripture. The known, known scripture. If you go on the internet today and write, is baptism necessary for salvation? They will quote the half part of this, the half part of this, and then they will quote what I have in my hand. And try to do it. Try to go in. Just, it's so funny. Go in, write on Google, is baptism necessary for salvation? Find some of those articles where I say, no, it's not. And you will see this quote taken out of context because it's actually talking about baptism. This quote taken out of context because it's actually talking about baptism. And then this quote taken out of context. Corinthians 1.17 Paul says, For Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made void. Look here, Tom. Look here. Christ did not send me to baptize. Paul says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the cross, to preach Christ. 
But this is not what he's saying. He did not say he did not baptize. You have to read texts in context. And this is often those people think they are so smart and we are the one with the sound doctrine who are quoting that. Try to read it. You are part of a conversation there where Paul is saying that there is division in the church. Some say I belong to Apollos, some say Caiaphas, some say Paulus, uh, some say Christ. Have Christ been divided? Was it me you got baptized to? Was it Paula? Who did you get baptized to? No, you got baptized to Christ. So they're talking about who they were baptized to or who they got baptized by. We also say like that. And they discussed that. And then Paul said, hey, stop. Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach Christ. He did not say he did not baptize because he said, I'm happy I did not baptize any of you there. Okay, I baptized him in his house and I baptized them and I baptized them, 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 them. So he baptized them actually. But he said it in that context. Like I a few weeks ago was in Canada and I quoted this scripture in the right context. Because what did I experience in Canada? Somebody came to me and said, Tom, 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 you need to baptize me. I want you to baptize me. I have just preached the gospel about repentance, baptism, water, Holy Spirit. 130 people want to get baptized. And somebody came to me and said, Tommy, I need you, you, you to baptize me. Do you know what I answered to him? No, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Did that mean he did not get baptized? No, because he got baptized, because the gospel is part of, baptism, part of the gospel. But he did not get baptized by me. Because every time people come and say, Tommy, have to be you who baptize me. Every time I quote this scripture and say, no. Because if they focus on the one who are baptizing, instead of the one who get, they get baptized to, then they have a wrong focus. And person, Jesus did not baptize anyone. You read in John that it was his disciples who baptized, and he was still with the John, John the Baptist. But Jesus did not baptize, his disciple baptized. And I understood why. Why? Because people were like, hey, who baptized you? Ah, it was Jesus who baptized me. <laughs> and Paul, the same things is now happening with Paul. Hey, who baptized you? It was Caiaphas who baptized me. Ah, I got baptized by Apollos. Hey, I got baptized by Paul. I think I do the same. You, you, you more people look at me, you less I actually do the baptism. A few years ago, I did more baptism. Like two days ago, we baptized. There was 10 people here who got baptized at the Jesus Hotel two days ago. I did not baptize any of them. Why? Because I don't need to baptize. The important is that they get baptized. So, and, but what do people do? People take the clear picture of the Word of God. It's so clear if you just take those religious glasses off and just read the whole book. <laughs> read the whole New Testament and divide the book up in a right way. And that means that nobody got baptized to Jesus in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, in John. Nobody got baptized there. Why? Because we had to divide the Bible, the Word of God in the, in, in the right way. And it was before the cross. There was nobody there who got baptized to Jesus. Why? The robber on the cross did not get baptized. Why? Because there was no baptism. It was still the old covenant. But after the cross, book of Acts, they all got baptized. 
And it's so clear if we look at just what, what the purpose with baptism water is, what, what the Bible says. I found some scriptures here. Acts 2, for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts again, wasn't aware of sins. This is some of the things they said in Acts. Romans said that you die and live with Christ, die to sin in baptism. Tito is saying that you wasn't, wasn't of new birth. Colossians is saying burial with Christ and rise up and so on. Galatians is saying crucify with Christ. Galatians is saying put on Christ. Peter is saying baptism and now save you. So we have many, 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 many clear pictures that show that baptism part of salvation is really important. And go to the Pioneer School if you want to see more about it. The, one of the 20 lessons. It's so clear, but what do people do today? They take the clear pics and say, no, 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 because Paul said. So we take one verse out of context and we are therefore blind. And I put this over this verse like this. I'm going to continue now and have two more examples and then we are going to stop. Tongues, speaking in tongues. Again, there's people who don't see the big picture and they focus on different details. And there's people who only focus on X2. And X2, you read that the multitude was confounded or confused or amazed because they heard them speak in their own language. What happened there? Book of Acts 2, the Holy Spirit came over the 120, they spoke. And there was people there from different nations, different countries, who all understood what they said because they heard them speak in their language. And then there's people who, because of that, are teaching that what I do, when I pray in tongues like this, and what many, many, many people do, that this is not tongues, this is wrong. No, 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 no. Tongues should be something you can understand. Because they understood it. Mm -hmm. But if tongues should be something you can understand, why do you then read another place that you should only do it if somebody can interpret it? Because if everyone understands it, nobody needs to interpret it or interpret it. Because this is the next word, place we read about tongues. Corinthians, where we read that when we speak in tongues, only two and most three, and each in turn, and no one, and if there is no one to interpret it, then let them, them keep silence. So here, another place, they are saying that, no, 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 you should not speak in tongues, only if there is somebody who can interpret it, interpret, come with the interpretation. And then, so there is people who are focused on this church who say, no, 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 it should be language, only language. And what you are doing, and what Ada is doing, and what we see in your videos, is not from God because it should only be language. Then other people say, no, 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 no. What you are doing, no, that is wrong also because somebody should be able to be there and come with the interpretation. Otherwise, people should keep silence. And there's people who are quoting this and focus on this. But then there's other scripture again where Paul said, the one who speaks in tongues speak not to man but to God because nobody understands him and he speaks mysteries. And the one who speaks in tongues build up himself. So here we are talking about tongues building up the church and 
it needs to be interpreted and interpreted. Here we talk about tongues in other languages, and here we talk about people who don't understand. And people are confused. Why is people confused? Because the Bible, again, the book of Corinthians for them, the book of Corinthians, as I said last time, is not written to a Baptist church today or written to a Lutheran church today or a Catholic church today. That book are written to that church. And that church in Corinth have something that many don't have today and because they don't have the same starting point, they don't understand the scripture and they get lost in the scripture. Because that book is written to somebody who have already understood the different kind of tongues. Because this is what it's talking about this. You can read Corinthians 12, 10, I think it is. You see it also that there is different kind of tongues. Here we are talking about three different kind of tongues. And to do it even more simple, there's four tongues. Because tongues just mean language. I speak language now. I speak tongues. But here they spoke tongues where people could understand them in other languages, a language you have not learned yourself. Here they speak the different kind of tongues where it was really loud and, and you come to meeting where suddenly somebody speaks loud and then you are waiting and somebody come and come with an interpretation. And here he's talking about the personal tongues that's for everyone where we edify ourselves. I believe on Pentecost they spoke the personal tongues also and there they experienced this. Let me explain it. If you don't know there's different kind of tongues, you get lost in those things. Uh, when people get baptized with the Holy Spirit, receive the Spirit, the Spirit fill them up, and shilabada, they start to speak tongues, the person tongues. This is for everyone. Then it should also be like that when we come together, have meetings. Sometimes somebody open the loud and speak loud with a different tongues where somebody needs to come with the interpretation. I have experienced that. I have experienced coming with that interpretation where one guy speaks and suddenly is coming to me and I can speak it so everybody can be built up by it. And then there is this tongue where people understood in other languages. I experienced this short time ago, a strong testimony. I was out shopping a half year ago, I think. And when I came out of the shop, there was a guy coming to me. And when I saw him, I could see that he was a satanist. He had like contact lenses with cat's eyes. And he was totally dark from with hair and everything was dark. He had six, six, six tattoos on his finger. And he had different symbols with satanist sign on his body. And he came to me and started to talk to me and it was a little weird what he says. So I said, stop, what do you want? And I think he wants to beg for money or something like that. So I said, stop, I'm a Christian. What do you want? Let me pray for you. And I put my hands on him and just prayed and I just command that demon to go, come out, come out in the name of Jesus and something left him. And he was coughing and coughing and something left him and he was strong. But then something else happened. I've not seen like that before. Suddenly, I felt the urge to just lay my hands on him and pray in tongues. So I put my hands on him. And I and I prayed my normal tongues. But I felt it changed somehow. I did not know what I was saying or doing or something. I just, and I spoke to him. 
As soon as I spoke to him, his eyes became big like he had seen God. He stepped back. How did you know? I, I said, what? How, how did you know our language? How, where have you learned that? I said, what? I didn't know what he was talking about. And then he said, my brother and me, when we were kids, we developed our code language only me and him understood. We are the only persons who spoke this language. But you had just been telling me about God in our language. How did you know? And when I left that place, he was standing and lifting his eyes and worshiping God. Love it. But what I experienced there, I think, was common to the early church. They experienced there was different kind of tongues. The tongues to be interpreted, the person tongues, the tongues where people suddenly understand in other languages. And because they knew there were different kind of tongues... The Bible makes sense. And when Paul says not everybody who speaks in tongues, he's not talking about the personal tongues that's for everyone. He's talking about this and this, that we cannot just go out and speak other languages when we want. That is the Holy Spirit doing that in us. So again, the problem is that the Bible is written to believers who have repented, who have got baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit, who already knew about the gifting and knew how it was working and because they have that understanding already and their experience, the Bible makes sense. But now we have people who have not repented, who are not got baptized, who have not received the Holy Spirit, who are still studying the Bible, but because they don't have what it takes, they read the same text, but they are blind. And I'm going to come with an example here that is really, really good if you, if it's, if, if you have seen this movie I'm talking about here. Because here I have a text. This is about a movie. And I want you to guess what movie this is. And I'm not sure, quite sure, but I'm almost sure that most of you have seen this movie. Try to guess what movie this is. It's a movie that is about a man's wife who are brutally murdered by a serial killer. And his son is left physically disabled. And in a twisted turn of events, his son is kidnapped. And he has to chase the kidnapper thousands of miles with the help of a mental disabled woman. Do you know what movie this is? We try to take again. It's about a man's wife who was murdered by a serial killer. Try to imagine this. A man's wife who was murdered by a serial killer. And then his son is left physically disabled. And in a twisted turn when his son is then kidnapped. And the dad had to chase the kidnapper thousands of miles with the help of a mental disabled woman. Do you know what movie it is? Are you ready? The movie is Finding Nemo. Now we read the same text one more time. It's about a man's wife who was brutally murdered by a serial killer. It's his wife who was murdered by a fish in the beginning. In a twisted turn at the van, and his son is 
left physical disabled, that's small, thin, so Nemo had problems swimming. In a Tracy Turner event, his son is kidnapped to Sydney, and the kidnapper had to chase the kidnapper thousand, and the daddy had to chase the kidnapper thousand miles with the help of a mental disabled woman, Doreen. So what is happening here? For you who have seen the movie, when you read that text one more time, suddenly you put other pictures in the text. First time you read the text, maybe when you read, okay, man's wife who are murdered, you, you, you are creating pictures. You are thinking murder, it will look like somebody there or kidnapped, put in the car and drive away or physically able, you are thinking of a man sitting in a wheelchair. So you read the text, but you did not have what it took to understand the text. But when you now saw that picture and experienced this and have seen the movie and then read the same text again, now the text gives meaning in a totally new way. And that is the same with the Bible. You need to be born again. You need to have the Holy Spirit. You need to walk out and live it. Go out, heal the sick, cast out demons, lead people to Christ, do the stuff. Because when you then do the stuff and live the life led by the Holy Spirit, then the Bible is for you. And then it gives meaning in a new way. And this is what I try to do with the Pioneer School. Okay, I'll just take a few minutes more and talk about tithing, maybe 10 minutes more. Tithing. The reason I talk about tithing is because so many people have asked me, please talk about tithing, please talk about tithing. And therefore I will just end up with this. Maybe you know this scripture. This is a scripture that has been read again and again and again. Especially in the church I came in many years ago. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation... Bring all the tithe into my storehouse, that there may be food in my house. When I was in a church many, many years ago, this verse was read again and again and again. Not every Sunday, but many Sundays. And in many churches, you read this verse on our website, from the church website. And this is about giving 10% of your income to the church. So this is a way to give. Bring your tithe, the 10%, to the storehouse, which is the church. And this is a verse that is very, very holy for many. I've been quoting many, many times. But like many other things, to... To say that this is about bringing 10% of your income to the local church is really to twist the word and to take scripture out of context. Because this is not talking about 10% to a local church. This is talking about tithing to the storehouse. And what is tithing? Tithing is not just 10%. And we're going to look at that. But first... There's people who then say, yeah, but Tom, this is not the only place we read about giving tithing. Jesus even spoke about it, and we should listen to Jesus. And then people quote Luke, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and Jesus is saying this, It is bad 
for, bad for you, proud religious law keeper. You give one-tenth, that is tithing, one-tenth part of your spices, but you give no force to what is right and to the love of God. So Jesus is rebuking the religious people, the Pharisees, for gift tithing, but they don't focus on what is right, the love of God. And then Jesus says, you should do both these. Out of those scriptures, I just need a little more chewing gum here. Out of those two scriptures, you it, it can look like, okay, Tithing is also a New Testament thing because Jesus said it. But let's look at it. First, what Jesus said here, he did not say to you. He did not say to me. He said it to those people. That those Jews should give tithe. They gave tithe of their, spice, uh, of their spices. And he said that they should continue doing that. Why? Because tithing have never been 10% of your money, of your income to a local church. Tithing is never just 10% either. At that time, tithing is a whole system of taxes. Because this is actually talking about taxes. You should pay tax. If you don't bring your tax to the country, you are robbing from God. And Jesus said to those local Jews that they should pay tax. Like I now pay tax in Denmark and you hopefully pay tax in the country you are in. And if you and me, if I don't pay tax in Denmark, it's like robbing God because this system is put in from, from God and I need to pay tax. And this is actually what typing is. And I can make it even more clear to show that tithing is never just 10%. Tithing is a whole system with different rules where you can do this and should do this and should do this. Because some of the other places we read about tithing, we read about some of those places here. One place we are reading here, if a man wants to redeem any of his tithe, he shall add one fifth. And I'm sure that these words have been read many, 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 many times. And many people know these words. But these words have never been read in the church. That when a man wants to redeem his tithe, he shall add one-fifth. Another words I'm also sure that have not been read in many churches is here from Deuteronomy. We read here, and you shall eat it before the Lord. So he's talking actually about that one time you shall add one-fifth. Another time you shall eat the tithe yourself. A third time we read actually here that in the end of every third year you shall bring out your tithe and products at that year and then store it up in your own gates and then the it. Strangers and fatherless can come and eat thereof. So, if you go down to the whole tithing thing, 10%, or it's not 10%, tithing. Tithing is a system the Israelite used to make the country run around. 
And typhoon was not money. Typhoon was what the earth produced. And therefore it was of spices. It was of animals. It was of things that came from the earth. And there was a lot of rules. There is a rule if you live far away from the storehouse, then you sell your products, take the money, travel to Jerusalem, and then you buy the things, and then you offer that. And then you give that. So there was a whole system. And those people who should pay tithing or tax was only those people who earn earth in Israel. In Israel. It was only those people. The strangers should not pay tax. The people from other countries, they should not pay tax or pay tithing. The Levites, they were working in the temple. Therefore, they should also not pay tithe. But they got from the tithe themselves. And from that tithe, they should then pay a tithe. So there was like a do-do-do-do-do whole system. And people don't know that because they don't read the whole book, they don't read the Old Testament, they don't read it. So they don't read those verses and those verses and those verses and those verses and about the whole system of tithing. And then we just take one verse that suits us because we want 10% to our churches. And then we use that verse. And there's actually people who are going so far and say, I've been at meetings where people are saying, if you don't pay 10% to this church, you are robbing God and no robbers is going to enter the kingdom of God. That is really misusing the scripture in a bad, bad, bad ways. And the sad thing is that I, I, I truly believe that most pastors and leaders who are really bringing tithing up like that, they know that they are wrong, but they need the money. So again, tithing, this is not just 10%. And this was to the storehouse. Why? Because there was a whole rule about that to the storehouse. It was said to the Jews and it was only those people who earn ground in Israel. Therefore, Jesus said to the Jews there that they should also pay tithe. And tithe should be this, 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 or this. That is for them. That is good. That is not for you and me today. Unless you are due and owe ground in Israel, and therefore you should pay tax today. Voila, this is how it was. Of course, there's other example of tithe. There's in Hebrews where we talk about Melchizedek, the high priest, where Abraham one time paid the spoils of the wars to him. But he's not a teaching about tithing. He's just talking about that he was a king and that king should have a tithe. Like here you also read, sometimes tithing was 23%, sometimes tithing was 33%. It depends if they had a king or not have a king. So there was a whole system. Now we have a king, and that king is Jesus. He's our king. What do Jesus say we should give to him? Our life. Everything. There was a young rich ruler, you read about him in book of Acts 19, where he said, what shall I do? And Jesus was talking about the law, talking about his heart, he had a problem with the heart. So he said, Sell everything, give it away, and come and follow me, and you have a treasure in heaven. It was what Jesus said to that guy. Why? Because he had a problem. He loved money. I believe there is many people today in church who give tithe, and they have a problem that they only give 10%. And they keep the 90 to themselves and think everything is good. 
How much should we give? I think you should give it all. I don't say that everyone, everybody should sell everything and give it away, but everything belongs to Jesus. If we have got baptized to him, if we have died with him, our life, everything is his. Everything belongs to him. And I think we should have that attitude that he say, God, we say, God, Jesus, what do you want us to do? Sometimes Jesus said to some people as you read, sell everything, give it away, come and follow him. Sometimes he did not say it like that. Sometimes people give and God loves a happy giver or glad giver. And it's good to give. And I'm not against people who are in a church and give 10%. I don't say it's a sin. It's good to give. But it's a problem if we take it up and make it a law. That you have to do like this. You have to do like this. You have to do like this. Give what he says you should give. Keep what he say you should keep. Obey God. Everything belongs to him. So it was a little about tithing. I hope you got something out of that. Otherwise, I have a chapter in my book, The Last Reformation. The Last Reformation book, there is a chapter about tithing. So, okay, I'm going to end up now. But it was just some examples of how scriptures can be misused to, to get something out of people or to... Create something that is not biblical. What should we use this for? We should just be aware. Be aware when you read things. Be aware when you go on the internet and read articles. Try to actually go in. Try to do what I say. Go in, write, is baptism necessary for salvation? And find those articles where I say, no, no, no. And then see some of the quotes. I guarantee you, you see this, you see this, and you see this. You will see those quotes. Try to go in and try to be aware when you hear sermons, when people are preaching. Try to take those scriptures in context and see, is this actually what the Bible is saying? So a good thing also is to go on the internet, find uh, some Bibles they have before you start the letter. There is a description of the letter you are now reading. For here we have Corinthians. And some Bible have a description before. That is good. Read that description. If you don't have that, go on the internet, find it. Read it before. Read something about the book. And then read the book. From the beginning to the end. And then think, okay, who is saying something? Paul is saying something here in Corinthians. He's saying to that church, what is for them and what is for us today? And then ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak the truth to you. When we start to do that and get our glasses off and start to see the big picture, not just chapters, not just verses, but see the big picture and experience the life, then everything changed. And this is what I try to do with the Pioneer School. Again, I try to draw the big picture, as I said. I try to encourage you to experience the life. Go out, get born again, get baptized, repent, get baptized water, receive the Holy Spirit, find somebody who can help you. Then go out on the street, lay hands on the sea, start to cast out some demons, start to lead people to Christ, start to see how the Holy Spirit is filling people up, start to experience the life, pray fast, seek God and experience the different kind of tongues, experience dreams, experience the life, how the Holy Spirit is leading and talking and speaking and everything. And then take the Bible and read it. Letter by letter, book by book. And now you are reading about somebody who are living the same life you are living. 
the same Holy Spirit, the same issues, the same life, the same love. And you see that something is different because this is a different time, it's a different culture. They don't have internet, they don't have Facebook, they don't have cars, they don't have planes. Some of the things they did was different, but the spirit is the same. The life is the same and Jesus is the same. And this is what makes the Bible suddenly amazing. It's not a book about theology, it's a book about life. But it's not a life you just read about, it's a life you live. The spirit and then the work. Live that life as I've been talking about. Okay, so see it again again if you want. Go and see. Have you not seen lesson 23? See that. Have you not seen the first 20 lessons on the Pioneer School? Go in and see that. I will be back again in um, maybe a month or two. I don't know when. Uh, right now I'm just seeking God. I, I, I have in my heart I want to do a teaching just about Jesus. To really go in and look at what he actually said about the cost to follow him. And this is a life in persecution. This is a life in pain. This is not like a prosperity, me, focus, me life. That is a life of dying and denying yourself and really following him. And I want to look at that. And then I want to do an extra lesson about persecution, about when things don't go as we want to, about life is hard. Uh, I'm happy, but life is hard. Why? Because... I follow Jesus, and everybody who follows Jesus is going to experience persecution in many different areas. So that is some of the two next lessons and two next things I want to focus on. And after that, I have in my heart to start to focus more about uh, building what do we do with the new disciples and how do we build fellowship and churches and, and more about that. So this is what I have in my heart and what I'm praying about right now. Uh, when I'll be ready for that, I don't know. But until then, make disciples, live with God, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. God bless you. Bye-bye.